Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chetan Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. In this week's episode, we're talking event safety protocols with the supplier community. We have Dana Lewis from Accor, Danny Percarelli from Exclusive Collection, Kathy Bradley from All About Flights, and Amy Bramall from Meet Bristol. Uh, objective is always to share best practice, to recover faster and stronger, as you know, so we appreciate all the honesty um, and candidness of these sessions. A um, couple of quick MySpook messages. 10th of June, we've got our extended a new platform again. So for all your technophobes, you're going to freak out because I am already, but it should be good. We've got a longer session. We've got a keynote from John Peters, who some of you might know from uh, Tony who's here, her father, who was a prisoner of war, a tornado, tornado pilot who was a prisoner of war for seven weeks. And he's going to, I mean, it's going to be a really inspiring, engaging story, but also just how does that reflect on the isolation that we've all just experienced. So pretty interesting. Different sessions taking over by HBAA, Site, EMA, uh, Studio Black Tomato, so you can diff- join different sessions. We've got some networking if you're a MySpit member, and we've also got a virtual bar, which we're working on. We don't know how this is all going to go, but we've got to try, right? We've got to try some different things and see how it goes. Um, so that's next um, Wednesday. Also, to all the suppliers out there, this session is all about what are you doing in terms of your COVID protocols? Um, What are you doing to bring back confidence within the events industry, with the planners, the corporate buyers, the agency buyers? And if you have got those documentations and work done, then please do put it on your MySpit profile. Um, We have a special section which you can use to upload COVID information and COVID documents so that planners can see them, download them when they need. That's it from uh, my speaker update. So I've got a panel, I hope for, um, and I'm going to ask them all to introduce themselves and we're going to kick into it. And this session is about what is everyone doing to bring back confidence within the event community to go back to life. Um, Amy, first of all, to you, intro, please, uh, where you're from and uh, the organisation. Okay, so I'm Amy Bramhall. I manage the Meet Bristol Convention Bureau. So we're part of Destination Bristol, which is the destination marketing organisation. Oh, I don't know why I didn't press anything. (laughs) Sorry, I was just saying our goals are to promote Bristol as a business events destination and to work with our partners to secure business for the city. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, Danny? Hi, guys. Uh, Danny Pecorelli, Managing Director of Exclusive Collection. So six uh, lovely hotels. And they are lovely. Dana, have we got Hi. you? Can you hear me? Yes, awesome. Thank you. I've, I've, I checked out and then came back on. Hi, everybody. Uh, Dana Lewis uh, from Accor Hotels. So uh, we're a global hotel group uh, with about 39 brands and counting. Um, and uh, obviously, I, I represent uh, the Northern European Division uh, as the director of sales for meetings, events and leisure. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Dana. And to Cathy. Hi, everybody. I'm Cathy from All About Flights, based up in Manchester, and I'm essentially a flight fairy. We look after aviation logistics for the mice market. So we're a very small agency, but we specialise purely in the provision of logistics for an event of whatever size, in whatever country, using whatever airline. How's that for being incredibly neutral? So I'm here to chat to you all about aviation and the steps that they're taking. It isn't an airline-specific conversation we're going to have. It's very generic, although I have seen some familiar faces. So I know there's a couple of airline people in the chat rooms today, and they might want to add a bit on their own particular airline. But we're just going to look at it very generically as to what's taking place 
in the terminal, on board, and with food and beverage in flight. Thank you. Great, thanks, Cathy. So the format normally is that it's quite a, um, a formal conversation. It's just like we're in the pub, just chatting about uh, what's going on in this industry. Um, but I'm going to take it slightly different in that I'm going to go to each person individually, but please do chime in if you've got opinions, thoughts on what anyone else has said. And as I said, please do post questions in the chat. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go holistic first. I'm going to go destination first. Amy, I'm coming to you. What is the destination visit? What, what is Bristol doing to get confidence back into the region and to your venues, etc.? Yeah, so at the moment we've been working with our partners just to knowledge share. So we've been sharing best practice, gathering information from them as to what their policies are going to be in regards to health and safety. Will they be writing anything into contracts um, to give customers peace of mind? Um, but we're also going out with a really great post-lockdown campaign. Um, and this is really exciting because it's not just meet Bristol, visit Bristol. We're working with the city centre bids. Um, so they're the business improvement district for the city. Um, so their work is very different to ours. They do a number of projects, but they're very focused on making the city a great place to visit. Um, so for example, during lockdown, they've been cleansing the city with COVID detergent, um, which they'll continue to do. They've had street ambassadors looking after businesses that have been closed. So sort of moving forward, they'll be taking the lead on working with partners in the city like the council the police um to put in traffic restrictions any physical distancing um restrictions and and just giving it a really unified approach so when people come to the city they can see we're organized um, and there's a clear message going out to visitors and delegates and um, so yeah it's quite exciting to be working with them so i mean we'll be rolling that out locally first um, so that'll probably be more consumer facing um, via our Visit Bristol channels. But in, in terms of Meet Bristol, we'll still be developing our blog content and um, sort of keeping interest up for our venues, for the experiences you can do here. Um, so always working with our members to get new information. Um, and we're also looking at engaging with local event planners as well, because at the Convention Bureau, we're always looking at inbound business, but that's really great to engage with local planners who are maybe, you know, they have maybe organised events abroad and they're looking for a destination close to home to maybe do a hybrid event. Um, and I think there's opportunities with the domestic incentive for the whole market as well. Um, so really, really keen to engage with people to, to let them know what we've got. Um, yeah, and then the final stage will be rolling it out internationally. Um, we'll be talking about a lot of you know, also what we can do, but some incentives. Um, Visit Britain have a really great um, scheme going, which is the business events growth scheme. And so people internationally want to bring events to the UK, they can bid for 20K for bidding for new events or to help existing events grow their international audience. So we'll be talking about all of these different initiatives that our partners are doing as well. And are you getting any guidance from any greater government bodies whether it's visit britain or anything else about how to bring back events essentially or is it still on a more general scale as in terms of mass gatherings and that sort of thing it, it hasn't filtered down to our industry yet in terms of how how we should be holding events 
Yeah, I think it's it's quite general at the moment. I did hear word that in a couple of weeks there will be more information on how many people um, you can have at an event. So at the moment, I think everybody's just doing their best. I know there's a couple of industry standards coming out, Visit Britain are producing one, um, but there are others which people can get involved with to, you know, to get these standards in place to build confidence of clients coming back. And Travel in, in terms of Visit Britain, is there a, you mentioned a trademark um, before? What, what is that about? Um, yeah, so it'll be sort of risk assessment based. So they've not released it just yet. So um, haven't got all of the information. I think it's coming out within the next couple of weeks. But that'll be something that venues and attractions, destinations can get involved with um, to meet criteria. Oh, need some music. <laughs> Go guys. <laughs> Where's that going from? Um, can someone turn their phone off, please? I can't work out who that is. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you anyway. were saying. Um, yeah, so this will be a standard that venues and attractions can apply for just so they can say, yeah, we've met this COVID safe requirement. So that should build confidence in people coming to their attraction with their business. Okay. And are you working with hand in hand with partners to... Are the partners coming, like, say it's a venue, are they coming to you for guidance? Are you are you sort of drip feeding down to them what they should be doing? How do the two work together? Yeah, absolutely. So with Meet Bristol, the Convention Bureau, we've got about 70 members um, who are venues, hotels, suppliers. So any information we get from Visit Britain, for example, um, or we've been getting information from ICA, we'll feed that down to the venues and then ask for their feedback. Is there anything that they'd like to know that we could possibly find out? Um, sometimes questions are unanswered, but we're keeping a big list of that to them feedback as the information comes out. So we're just trying to make sure everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet, really. Okay. Um... I'm going to come back to you in a little bit because I think it's interesting, especially the domestic market, which will bounce back first. And there's going to be a huge, I guess, domestic demand, which is great because that means at least events are happening. But also there's probably quite a few challenges, but I will come back on all of that. Um, I'm going to go to Danny now. And I think you've got a very exciting and interesting perspective because you deal with sport. Tell us about that and what is the parallels about, uh, obviously we want to go into more generic of what your hotel group are doing, but tell us in respect to the sports side as well, please. So we're, we're, we're lucky enough. We, we've got a contract at Penny Hill Park with uh, the RFU. We do a lot of work with football teams. Um, and talking to, to, to those guys who are obviously planning for the next phase of the football season of the, the the rugby internationals coming up and we've been utilizing some of the insight they've given us we, we've been talking a lot about biosecure environments and then trying to translate that into the meeting space because what we've seen is that i think everybody's going to want something slightly different but because we've got so much space, we've got outdoor space, um, we can create these mini either exclusive uses or give areas that are ex of an exclusive use. And it's a lot of people are very keen to carry on with events, 
but their concern is cross-contamination in a way in meeting other people so how do we create an environment that is secure for them so we can do that physically by allocating that space by not allowing them to cross over even down to the details of uh, uh you know do they have their own toilets so that no one else is going in there we we have had conversations around the air conditioning in the building the, the 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 meeting rooms particularly is it just your air being recirculated um and we've we've been working on those protocols and physical investment so we uh because not only do we want to keep our clients safe we want to keep our staff safe because if we've got safe staff and safe clients that's the perfect perfect environment so we've really got down into the detail where we, we are going to temperature check all of our staff. We've invested in some thermal cameras that takes your, your retina, eye retina temperature. And once again, that's for our clients, but also for our staff so that we won't allow anybody on shift if, if their temperature is too high. Um, and, and it's been a really interesting experience how we can then translate that into the meeting world. And it's also important for us because we set ourselves a number of objectives. How do we keep everyone safe? But how do we also make sure it's still an experience? Because we don't want it to be a hospital, a hospital environment or feel like a hospital environment. You don't necessarily want that. So some of the things that we're doing, I mean, every, every hotel is doing it differently. But we were talking about bedroom cleaning the other day and some of the big brands are doing this sort of big cling film over your door almost as you go in and we we decided so we said how can we clean a room but not make it feel like that so we've invested in fogging machines which kill any bacteria or viruses mm. in a room it doesn't leave uh the 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 room looking overly um uh uh, uh treated if if that makes sense but once again, it's we know it's a safe, clean environment. Protocols like not trying where possible not to let the room once someone's left for the next 24 hours. Um, or if we do have to let it in the next 24 hours, having those enhanced cleaning schedules on top of what we're already doing. So, I mean, there's a ton of questions I've already got there. So reminder, mm -hmm. post questions into the chat, please. Um, when what are the what are your dates looking like given the sporting fixtures are starting to now happen um well we, we our demand's pretty good actually so it's quite um you mean dates on opening or yeah when when you've got first groups sporting or otherwise when are they starting with you so so we we are opening three of our properties manor house castle coombe uh, south lodge and penny hill park we're opening on the 9th of july and we have uh, some quite a few groups in in September. There's some August events, but obviously that's subject to the government guidelines around around numbers. We are getting the odd inquiry for July, but that tends to be small, very high level meetings. We, we've also changed, as a lot of people have, our, our contracts to have a, a COVID get out of jail card free clause. So that you know we're 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 realistic enough to know that if people 
you know they're, they're planning it can't happen we want we want them to stay with us so there are one or two in july but yeah we're all in the government's hands on these aren't we we are um or are we i mean it's a it's a question <laughs> i pose uh, and I, I keep posing is that no the government are never going to tell us how we're supposed to meet um how we're supposed to have 100 people or 50 people gather what um they're never going to tell us. We have to no. decide and then backfill it, fit it to any legislation that comes out. As my opinion, I don't know. What, well, well what, I think, yeah. Well, what we're we're finding on that. I mean, we. It's interesting. I mean, Visit Britain's been talked about just earlier. We're we're following um, a number of protocols. We're, we're following the UK hospitality protocols. We are getting the AA uh, accreditation for the AA. It's called the AA Sign of Confidence to get that external validation. But from a government point of view it seems that everybody we're all going to have to do the same thing which is basically put your best endeavors in to make it safe follow the guidelines that are there although they're very limited and open to interpretation and then risk assess the hell out of it and that's the reality that's what the government wants everybody to do the onus is almost on us be it a uh, 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 you know, in our case, obviously, hotels and, and, and venues, the onus is going to be on us to interpret it and to have the right level of risk assessment in every single scenario. Yeah. And in terms of your assessments, what's your thoughts on, have you done the work on capacities? Um, what does that look like? Yeah, so we 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 have reduced our capacities significantly. I.e., you know, we will give you a lot more space if you want to come in, and we're probably in we're 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 country locations, so we're a lot luckier than a lot of the city centres. Sorry, I know Bristol's on the on this, but 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 we've always competed on space. And so it's using that space to the very best of our advantage. That comes with a we're not going to run full when we open the doors as much as we would love to. So we've made the commercial decision to give all of our clients more space to create these secure environments and we've got more space to play with anyway and is is it too soon to have you got a formula so if a room hold, used to hold 200 it now holds i mean is there a straight or does it is it case by case no because we we've also looked at you know the days of a cabaret table for for eight people crammed around it so we've looked at different formats hollow squares as an example at two meters so we've we've gone into the uh, uh, steph hall who uh looks after the sales and marketing i think's on this call she's literally gone through every single room with all the 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 the, the gms of the properties and we've worked out a safer capacity based on a two meter uh, a distance you know, if that shrinks, then then we'll re re look at it. But at the moment, we want to be able to say we can physically distance people. We hate uh, we've not been using this term social distancing because people go to meetings and events because they want to be 
um, they want to be social, but we're estimating between 30 to 50 percent of capacity. 30 to 50 percent, meaning of, of in, our previous previous numbers reduced. If if it was a hundred people, we would comfortably fit in a room. We're now allowing, depending on the room and the, and the setup, between 30 and, and 50. Okay. Um, there's a question here about uh, costs. How are you, are you still then looking at, if the, if the reduced numbers are the 30 to 50%, are you still looking at a per head cost being the same or are you looking at the whole cost but divided by the, more, the, less people? The, the same, but we are also seeing more demand for exclusive use, especially at our smaller mm. properties because that's the ultimate way of creating these biosecure environments. But but right now, on reopening phase, you are going to get more bang for your buck if you if you if you were to book with us because we've made that commercial decision to 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 do that. Okay. A uh, couple of quick points just to go back on a couple of points. You said the temperature check. Um how how does that what does that actually look like? What is can you just describe how that would work? So I walk in and what, what would happen? So it's a, it's a very elegant stand with a, it looks like an iPad, a, a, a sort of dark screen. You look at it for no more than a few seconds and it pings up red or green. If it, if it pings up red, it sends an email to someone internally. Um, and then we would, we would manually have a, have a conversation around that, but but all of our protocols will be sent to people, be it a meeting or a leisure stay in advance, so people will be aware that that's the case. But but we didn't want to make it a manual, overly intrusive process. And part of staying somewhere is you you. you it's we felt it would be reassuring if you know you're okay but also you know that all of your fellow guests are okay yeah okay and sticking with there's a question in about where where does this actually happen is it within the reception area or outside yeah, so as, as you're we're, we're in in some properties it's it's more than one point because there's more than one entry into the hotel okay um okay and I've just got, I'm going to take one more question. Um, when you configured the new capacities, um, did you do this using floor plans? So are, are these plans now, as you normally have, would have your capacities possibly listed on websites and so on, on your brochures, are they now publicly available or is it still a case that people need to check, come to you with the inquiry, with the requirements, and you then try and work out what's the best fit for them? But they, they need to check. I mean, we, we will make them publicly available but it's been quite a, uh, an interesting logistical feat to get to get it all all done, and it, it's back to this added trying to then group meeting rooms together so people can have private dining, private toilets, private outdoor space. Yeah, um, we've worked really hard, and even allocating bedrooms physically as close to the meeting rooms as possible. So there's minimum crossover of people. Okay, and I'm going to take one more actually, because again, it's a question about if people don't aren't showing any symptoms or 
showing uh, any a temperature. What um, what are we relying on them to to do test themselves at, at this point? And if they're not showing any symptoms, I guess there's not much else you can do. Is no, there anything else I mean, you can be done? Is is a risk in in someone? You know, can people pass a temperature check? You could be on day one. Yes, mm. yes, of course. But it's back to risk assessing. That's even a test wouldn't necessarily prove positive on 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 day one. Mm. So, you know, have we done everything we physically can? And then you add on all the the the, the hand sanitizing stations and all of the extra stuff that we're doing. It, it's we can put our hand on heart so we have done as much as is humanly possible without it becoming a hospital to make and making sure it doesn't feel like one to to yeah. to, to, to to protect everybody okay um sounds like you've done some fantastic work danny um i'm going to come to you dana uh from a more slightly larger hotel group um what tell us <laughs> about what the group are doing and what can you share with this audience um, hi everybody. Um, so we're in a, a position where uh, today across Northern Europe, uh, the majority of the hotels are still closed. Uh, about two weeks ago across Europe, we had about 85% of the, of the properties closed. Today it's reduced down because we are opening up in some of the other areas uh, and we're around about 50% of hotels uh, are now uh, open but of course here in the UK it's not not as uh, 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 as positive because uh, we won't be reopening until July August time in terms of what uh, the main things that uh, ACL has been working on is really uh, we've put a, we're putting a program together um, an accreditation program called all safe um, which is basically um, a, a very comprehensive um, program uh covering similar things to what danny talked about the the um safety and hygiene training program for all of the hotels uh to cover all parts of the hotels from bedrooms through to meeting space etc so um the whole idea of that is we're working with a, a company called um, a bureau of veritas which is um a large uh, world testing uh, organization um to bring in um an accreditation program so that all of the hotels you will know you'll be able to go onto the website and you'll be able to see as and when those hotels get fully accredited um to ensure that the you know we're meeting the the standards that are being set for for health and safety uh, and i think one of the other things that uh is just as equally important is the as part of that will be the training um of the staff but of course, at the moment, a lot of those staff still are not uh, are still being in furlough. Certainly in the UK, uh, the majority of our hotels are still closed today. So, um, in terms of the next stage, will be on the operational side is ensuring that we're getting the staff when they come back into the uh, uh, a training um, program um, to get the hotels up and running. So the the accreditation that's being done is that covering yeah. everything from bedrooms to yeah. reception to restaurants the, to it meetings. Yeah, it, it covers the whole aspect of the hotel. And of course, with uh, with our hotels, we've got eco through to uh, luxury hotels. The diff there will be um, significant differences in in the uh, uh, in that because some of our smaller hotels don't have the the meeting space to such. But yeah, it will cover everything. 
Um, it's not um, it's not fully mandated, um, you know, with four and a half thousand hotels. Um, it, it's not something that we can uh, mandate on, on all of those hotels, but we envisage that the majority of the hotels, certainly, certainly from the M&E side, because of the importance of, of M&E, we will, um, someone's just asking, will it vary from country to country? Um, we, we're working with um, uh, uh, Bureau Veritas, but in some countries, there are other companies that are accredited, a similar organisation. So some of those countries have opted to work with other organisations, but in terms of the actual standards, they will be standard standardisations across the uh, across the the, uh, the the brands. And similar sort of, I think what's great is that we're starting to get into conversations about how, not well, how and when actually. So, yeah. when do you? I mean, when do we think there's going to be sensible conversations about availability, capacities, all of that sort of stuff? Are we still months away, or what? Are, what are you looking at? I think it very much. If if we if I talk about Northern Europe first, uh, and then I can talk about the other areas because it's it is different in each uh, in each region. Um, certainly here in. Uh, I mean, we're having myself, Debbie, Nicola, who are on the call uh, from Accor. We're, we're having conversations on regular basis now with our bigger M&E hotels. Um, and some of them do have staff that are, are there. Um, from their perspective, they're already starting having conversations. I mean, we're receiving inquiries, albeit we're, we're down dramatically year on year on, on the level of inquiries, but we are still receiving inquiries. Uh, in May, we receive inquiries for 2022, 2023 even. So we're having to have conversations now uh, and we're also looking at pieces of business that are being moved. So yeah, we're, we're having those conversations. But in terms of uh, the final details, it's I think we're, we're still a few a few months away because um, certainly in the UK, there's probably some hotels that are not going to be opened until September October time. Yeah, and with regard to the rest of Europe, we are seeing some more positive. Uh, you know, we, I was on the call this morning with Central Europe. Uh, Germany, Austria, they're, they're actually, I would say, out of all of the uh, the European uh, destinations, probably more advanced. Um, business is picking up slowly, don't get me wrong, <laughs> um, but it's, it's there. And interestingly enough, they're seeing more business rather than leisure. There was always people are saying leisure is going to come back first. We're not seeing that. We're seeing more domestic um, uh, corporate business coming back. Um, so that's obviously uh, we're having a lot of conversations with our with our corporate clients, um, and of course one of our challenges is a lot of the corporates are, are having their own standards. So uh, that's also uh, we're finding some challenges at the moment because you know we're we're implementing some acc accreditations and we've got uh, something in place, but we are now already seeing that uh, corporates are coming in and asking and um, for perhaps a different uh, levels or different uh, questions than we've actually already been prepared for. So we, we, what's important for us at the moment is just the dialogue with our event or organizers, because we really need to know as much as possible so that we can go back to our hotels to make sure that they are coming back with the right um, answers to the questions. And I, um, in terms of the team, I can imagine it's quite difficult um, with also getting answers because also the hotels the properties to get answers what advice yeah. would you have 
for the audience here today of how best to work with the core at this time, what kind of patience is needed? Because I imagine everybody, when people want something, they want it still in the same timelines and timeframes they used to want it, but things are different. What would you say? Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm in a very fortunate position that um, overall I've managed to retain quite a lot of my m &E team. So if people do need support, then we have got, uh, we're not running at full capacity. Um, you know, our, our group's desk is down to two people rather than seven. Um, but our team with Nicola and, and, and Debbie and, and Dawn and, and that, we're running at, um, you know, a, a fairly decent capacity. So we've got support there. That, so if people do have queries or questions, then, you know, they can just uh, uh, drop us emails and we'll obviously support and help them. Um, we're reaching out to the hotels. We obviously have contacts ourselves within the hotels. It's in other regions. Um, hotels haven't closed down as much as they have across Europe. So bear that in mind. You know, in the Americas, um, they've managed to retain a lot of the hotels re remained open. Um, so we've got contacts in 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 there. Nicholas and, and you know she's talking daily to all of our hotels across uh, the Americas. Um, in Europe, we've, as I said, now the, the hotels are beginning to reopen um, more so over in Central Europe and Southern Europe. Southern Europe actually never officially closed down. The hotels never officially had to close down. They weren't uh, like the UK where they, they were ordered to close. It wasn't the case in some of the other regions. So it's, uh, it's a lot easier in some of the other destinations. If people have got problems, then they just need to drop us an email and we'll obviously support them and put, point them in the right direction. Oh, we're having inquiries. also uh, we're having regular conversations with with the hotels as well. So a lot of the key M and E hotels, the key people are, are around. Okay, thank you. And I'm gonna. I know there's some questions coming in, but I'm gonna move on to flights now, just for a second. I'll come back to questions. So, Kathy, um, with with you and the airline side, actually, I want to go back a bit because it's kind of. It's still a, you know, it's a huge topic generally about flights, refunds, cancellations, postponements, all of that stuff. Tell us where you are and what you think should be happening, could be happening, has happened, and advice for airlines and people looking that have booked and what they should be doing with their bookings going forward. Okay, so you want kind of a general overview, not just about safety on board currently. If I backtrack a little bit. Yeah, we'll come back to safety, yes. All right, for the rest of you that I don't know, forgive me in advance because I can talk quite a lot, um, <laughs> feel free to nod off. And equally, when it moves on to the cleaning side of aircraft in due course, I'm just going to say that I am aware that Dan from Malaysia and Maris from Etihad are also in this presentation somewhere. So when we get round to that, I'm going to ask you guys just to unmute yourselves after we've discussed it on a very generic level, if you don't mind. But um, listen, we at All About Flights have had a horrific few months. I'm not going to lie about that. We were heavily affected and felt incredibly helpless back in February for us. It started probably mid-February in that we had groups going out to Japan and Asia that were, they'd already seen cases. We had the cruise ship that you might remember that was kind of stranded off the coast of Japan. We had groups traveling out there knowing that that cruise ship was infected and is going to disembark at various points. And airlines did very little. At that point, there was no help for them. They simply had to lose everything that they paid for. Remember, this conversation is very generic. It is not about a specific airline and certainly not about the two airlines present on this call that I'm aware of. So let me just spell that out. 
Um, but we as a team felt very frustrated because we're in a position where we want to do the best by the event company. We want to give them what it is that they want. And that differs on a case-by-case -case basis. There'll be some of our clients that were quite happy to just play it by ear day by day and see what happens. And if the foreign office hadn't warned against travel, they would still travel. They were quite bullish in their approach. You've got others dependent on the corporate. You know, some industries are more heavily regulated than others and health and safety were going up into orbit at one point and they were not going to travel for the foreseeable. We had real extremities of how the clients, the corporate and the event company involved were feeling and we had real extremities in how the airlines were handling it. Back in February, I thought they were all behaving relatively appallingly in that policy was not in place. It was almost like if we didn't, because it hadn't hit the UK as such, in that we were not in a critical stage or even feeling like you might approach one, it was almost like there was no thought given. By early March, many airlines had woken up and realised that they had to do something. By mid-March, the vast majority were on board and offering some sort of policy. Some airlines were not even doing that till late March. Now, for us as a team, what we struggled with uh, and I know that this is going to happen. You know, you've got many hoteliers on this chat that we're talking to now. So you're not going to have a situation where every hotel would have the same rules as each other. I appreciate that that's how it is. What we felt very strongly about then and still do today is that where you have a group, for example, hypothetically speaking, we're all sitting here. It's the 10th of March. The group's going on the 20th of March, for example, they're fully committed, all tickets have been issued, they're traveling in 10 days, the corporate doesn't want to go. The corporate will know the inevitability of what's going to happen. The airline had no policy, or if it did have a policy, it wasn't to refund necessarily. They may well have been willing to transfer dates, and that's what we were doing. March and April suddenly became a call center for diverting groups from March and April to later on in the year. We'll come back on that in a moment. What we found incredibly frustrated is in a situation where you have a group that's ticketed and the flight gets cancelled, the airlines were still not refunding, even though they'd cancelled the service and even though in some cases the country they were travelling to had shut down the borders. They were not allowing British people in or anybody flying from anywhere for that matter. So you can imagine for us, we felt incredibly caught between a rock and a hard place in that we, we felt very much like the, the corporate should be entitled to a refund, but we were not able to give it. We felt like we were bartering from one day to the other. Now, I'm not going to lie to any of you in this call. It's obviously in everybody's interest, whether you're the flight ferry in between as I am at All About Flights or another travel agency or whether you are the airline. What we want to do is protect the mice market for the future. What we want to have a look at is, okay, you might not travel in March and April. So let's look at September, October, or maybe January, February, whatever they're comfortable with, because every single client is different. So where the airlines were offering the ability to move the group to later in the year, be it Q3, Q4 in 2020 or 2021, that seemed really reasonable to me, where they've been unticketed, deposits only paid at that time, or even if a balance was paid, but it wasn't ticketed. It felt reasonable that everybody involved in that movement, be it the DMC on the ground, the hotelier, the auxiliary providers, be it a cruise that you might have chartered. It's, it, we felt like everybody else in the bigger picture was willing to move those funds to another point because they saw the, the benefit, I suppose, of retaining that client for the future and retaining the revenue. And for the most part, I can say to you now sitting here in June, 
for the most part, all of the airlines are willing to now consider moving groups. We are still very frustrated with situations where airlines have cancelled a flight and customers still have no refunds. And I'm sure all of you will have heard all of that over the news for the last few weeks and months. It's been going on day in, day out. All of that said, the flip side to what I'm saying here is there are times when, well, actually, I'm ex-airline myself, so more often than not, I do wear an airline hat. And I can sit here and see why airlines have taken the stance that they have in that they don't want to refund. They want to give a credit note. And where they're not refunding and they're giving a credit note to the average individual, if that was me, for example, in fact, I'm, I actually do have a credit note from an airline that wouldn't give me a refund. So I'm not overly bothered because I know I will travel. I know I will fly at some point in the future and I know I will use that voucher. But for the next customer, what we've got is a situation where some airlines have issued credit vouchers only because the tickets have been issued, the credit voucher has been issued in the passenger's name. So it isn't a credit for 40 seats from London to Istanbul, for example. It's a credit for Mr. Smith. Now, what we're facing is what if that staff member that has a ticket is no longer employed with that company in the future? Or for whatever reason, when the incentive takes place in the future, they cannot travel. And they're the frustrations we're facing all the time. How long did you want me to talk about this for, Chet? Because really, none of them have got long enough. <laughs> Um, we are very aware of what you as event companies and corporates, if they're present on this call, I'm not sure the nature of everybody involved, but we are very aware of what you should receive. We are very aware of what you want. And for the most part, we have been lucky enough to be able to refund everybody that was entitled to a refund. The only exceptions we have to that at the moment are where we're rating a couple of credits from airlines. Um, and they all keep bouncing back emails saying, due to the unprecedented demand, this is going to take six to ten months or whatever it is. And I'm appreciative of that. I understand that it takes a long time, but it does for us as well. You know, we, we at one point, we were issuing more tickets. We were refunding more tickets in a given week than you would have issued tickets in a month, for example. So we've all been under pressure at various points throughout the last few months. I'm sure you'll all agree. And, and I just think the airlines, very, again, this is very generic. The airlines could have reacted a little bit sooner. So... At the moment, what we're facing in the next few weeks, not today, all about flights have got a little bit of a breather. Because we specialise purely in mice and purely in, in the corporate world, I guess, you inevitably, as I'm sure you'll agree, most corporates don't travel the latter part of July or August. Incentives don't traditionally take place, place at that period. So we've got a bit of a breather now in that we're not frantically trying to rearrange people's groups for July and August because we naturally don't have them, not because of COVID. Um, what is going to be interesting, and maybe check food for thought, plan another session on this subject, maybe a month of time, a month's time from now, or maybe six weeks from now. Back in February and March, when people were talking to us about moving groups, some people came to us and said they were going to move them for June or July, and we were like, no, too soon. I did feel that September, October was probably a little bit more cautious and probably very sensible. As I talk to you now, whilst I personally would still travel in September and October, I really would, um, I think what's going to happen, or I hope what is going to happen, is the average British family that may have a package holiday booked, will be desperate to go away. If they've booked and paid for that, for travel in July and August, quarantine doesn't exist in the UK, let's just assume that for now. And that airline operates, that family 
will essentially lose everything because the airline will not feel compelled to allow them to change because everything's operating. The country they're going to is open and quarantine is no longer a requirement. So I'm naively sitting here hopefully thinking that July and August will bring a change in individual travel for leisure reasons and that will have a knock-on effect in September and October for our corporates. They'll see that people have been traveling, hopefully we won't have a second spike and hopefully the confidence to travel will resume. But for our world and for the corporate world, what I worry about slightly is all of that said, for those groups that we move from March and April, for example, into September and October, the reality is we've now got to go to them and ask for the balance payment in July. And I can't help but feel that asking for a balance payment in July for travel in September is just slightly too early. Now, I've spoken to airlines about this. We are in the last 24 hours receiving more airlines willing to offer policy for September. At the moment, the vast majority are up to the end of July or August. We've got a couple that are giving policy for September at the moment. Um, some airlines, we're lobbying it all the time. And for those of you that are on this call that are airline, you'll know that we're on your case. <laughs> we are getting policy more and more for September and October, and I feel we need it. You know, I would love to think that we don't need it. And I'd love to hope that those groups we have booked in September and October travel. I really would. Nobody wants that more than me, I can assure you. Um, running a flight business. And we've got a real mixed bag. So we've gone out to everybody in September recently and said, what do you thought? What's your corporate thinking? Are they on balance, assuming no quarantine, willing to travel in September? And we've had mixed reviews. We've had some that have come back and said, yes, they are. We've had others that have said, no, we're absolutely not. And some of that is because of that balance payment being due in July for September and being due in August for October, for example. So we've naturally gone to some airlines and said, how would you feel if we delay the balance payment? Because that seems like a sensible approach in one respect, but then that's really unfair on the airline. If they say to us, don't pay two months out, pay one month out, all these statistics I'm giving you, by the way, are hypothetical, every airline works differently, but then I feel awkward in that we could end up dumping space on an airline with a month to go because they've been willing to extend that balance payment deadline. And that seems unfair from my point because... We're not dumping one or two seats for traditional business travel. In some cases, we might be dumping 80 or 90 seats with a few weeks to go. So there are always two sides to every story, as I'm sure all of you know. Um, for anybody that has group travel booked with any airline, contact your flight provider and check where you're at. My advice to all of you would be, for what it's worth, if you have a group in September, October, and your airline currently does not have policy, sit tight and hope that by the time your balance payments due policy comes into place and the airlines are willing to transfer um we've for, for airlines that don't have policy and we've gone to them exceptionally they've, they've been generally very willing and i think they're very much aware now that the corporate world and the mice market will react a little bit slower than that of the individual travel and and the traveling public is that correct chet everybody's yeah with? that's <laughs> no, that's great. And I think it's just trying to outline, you know, the current situation, how to get it's this call is all about confidence and getting confidence back into meeting life, traveling, all of that stuff. So balance payments due are very much part of that, working with the airlines to try and protect groups. Let's move on to confidence in terms of what the airlines are doing. Tell us in your with your expertise hat of cross section of the industry, what are you seeing? What are the airlines doing? Um, who's doing it really well? Um, 
So all of the airlines are going to react differently, as you can imagine, based on where the airline is based. Uh, sorry, geographically, where the airline's head office is, you might find that they have to conform to procedure and protocol in that particular country. Um, what I'll say to you, um, I read, or sorry, I overheard a conversation not so long ago that was all about aviation. And I'm the first to stand here and say, or sit here and say, social distancing on an aeroplane, it is not going to happen. It's really not. You can't. Even if they block the middle seat, even if they block the row in front or behind, they can't. That's my honest opinion, and I tend to say it as it is. So forgive me for those of you that might think that's a bit blunt. However, the flip side of that is I do believe, not just because I have a flight business, but I do believe the interior of a cabin when you fly from A to B going forward is probably going to be one of the safest environments you're ever in, unless any of you have pepper filters in your own home. These filters are among the best in the world. They're designed to, to get rid of 99.9% .9 of any airborne particles, whatever might be out there. Um, you all probably go to your local Tesco, Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Co-op, wherever it is you shop. The air there won't be as clean as it will be on some of these cabins. Every airline's different, again, as I've said. Um, they are all doing things... Listen, even with the hoteliers, what we've just heard for, um, from Daniel with the core, you know, we all want to be seen to be doing what we can. And the temperature screening, crew flight briefings, common areas, clean more thoroughly, that's the check-in area, the executive lounge area if you use it, the gate areas, they're going to encourage and ensure that social distancing, etiquette is observed. In flight, we've got real um, mixtures of what's going on. I mean, some airlines are putting on medical kits, communicable disease kits, they weren't on board before. Cabin cleaning is very specifically aircraft manufactured disinfectant that's approved by whichever scientist approved it. I don't know, but they're all doing what they can. Every airline in their own country is doing it. If anybody is suspected on board of having a temperature or having COVID, they're all now very much aware of what this disease can do and how it can cripple the aviation industry. And from what I understand from every airline I've contacted, that aircraft would be immediately taken aside, even if it turns out that that person was not infected. It will be subject to a deep clean. Um, yeah, thank you. He's going to share some. This is by no means what we've got. Um, every airline is trying to do what they can. I have numerous listings from across Malaysia and Singapore, uh, Virgin, Etihad, Austrian, even the low cost Pegasus. Any airline you can think of will have something out there. And I just hope these images show you that they are thinking about it behind the scenes. They are looking at enhanced cleaning of the cabin. They are ensuring their crew have got masks on and gloves. Some airlines are actually handing out where you traditionally may have been given a pair of socks and some earplugs. You might find yourself being given a mask and some gloves and hand gel or whatever's needed. Some of the airlines, particularly, you're going to look at the short video that we've just got, um, courtesy of Malaysian Airlines, you can see at every point, this is the airport image, their temperature checking. We've already discussed temperature checking and how effective it is. We all know that somebody could fly, have the infection, but not present with a temperature. So we're never going to have a perfect scenario. And I know that you're all sort of very real and you understand that. But this gives you an idea that what's going on behind the scenes, gives you an insight into the cabin, how the staff members are used. He's fitting the HEPA filter into the fuselage of the aircraft there. Um, all of these slides that we have, by the way, Chet will make available. I've got them on it. If any of you have a specific group with a specific airline and want one that's not so generalistic, just let me know. Um, Dan from Malaysian and also Marius from Etihad, I think, are on the call. 
If any of you want to jump in and intercept, please do. And I hope you've not found it too bullish of me to say that you just can't socially distance on an aircraft. I think all of you know that I mean that with the best intentions. It's just not possible. It really isn't. You're certainly never going to go with that mentality where everyone wants to board first so they can get the handbaggage in the overhead locker. It's just one of those things. The airlines will do what they can. I think we all have to just assume and respect that the airport authority that you are that's responsible for the airport you're departing from will do everything they can across all levels of interaction the terminal building the airline that you're flying with the future success of an airline is going to depend on them getting this right they will do what they can in terms of the crew how they're preparing the meals in terms of anything that's being done on board some airlines are removing you know when you get on, the, on an aircraft and the technology is so modern that you touch the screen. Many airlines are actually removing that functionality and asking you to have the app on the phone. So you're not touching things unnecessarily. So many airlines are doing so many very different things. The one important thing for you to all take away from this call is just how successful those HEPA filters are. As much as all your friends and family will say that an aircraft might be a place that you shouldn't be, it, it, it's better than your bus or your tube or your tram that we have up in Manchester. It's better than your own car. It's better than your own home. Can anybody else tell me that your air is refreshed every two or three minutes? No. And I think all of the pros, all of the steps along the way, whether you board an aircraft in Timbuktu and transit somewhere else and arrive in another country, all of those airport authorities involved will be doing what they can to ensure cleanliness. And my final thought on it before we ask the airlines if they want to add anything is, I think the owners should be on the passenger as well. You know, for those event managers out there that have got corporates asking the question, one thing we've all gained from this is that we should be washing our hands regularly. And I think if you use the hand sanitizers that are dotted about the airport terminals, and if you wash your hands on board as and when you go to the bathroom, if you need to, take your own sanitizer wipes, wipe your own seat pocket. I've done that for quite a few years anyway, especially when I'm on an airline that I know the turnaround's 25 minutes. The cleaning's never been thorough. <laughs> So I would say if everybody takes responsibility for themselves, but you're reinforcing that traditional cleanliness message that we're all sort of listening to at the moment with, if you've got these images from airlines that we can share with you, should anybody need it for their corporate. But I hope that some of you have, from this call, sort of realised that they are thinking about it. The airlines might not be screaming and shouting about it, but they are looking at what they can do. Um, I've given a sample shot of airlines. There's also some airlines that I've purposely not mentioned that you might be thinking about. One of the reasons I've not mentioned them is because they might be heavily regulated uh, by the EU, for example, and we're waiting for the advice that they will insist an airline adheres to. So even if you have an inquiry on a specific airline where I can't give you their process at the moment, it's not that they're not going to have one. It shouldn't mean that you've not got the confidence with them. It will just mean they're waiting for their regulatory body Okay, Kathy, take a breath. <laughs> Love your passion. Amazing. You you are the lady to come to for flying because you bloody know your stuff. Well done. Um, I'm just conscious of time. I'm sorry, Ron. We're going to post all the information that's been Kathy's kindly sent to me about the video or the different airlines are doing onto the forum. I urge you to post it on your MySpit profiles for the airlines that are on this call. Um, I thank the panel for their candidness, for their openness and sharing what they're doing to make events safer, to build confidence back. And that's it for me. I really hope to see you all 
on the 10th of June at our extended event um, and have a great rest of day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much. We really hope you enjoyed those talks. And if so, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. To see what the next discussions are, please go to mustbeonit.com and click on Talks in the menu bar. To contact MiceBook, please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter.